0: Morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church, and happy Easter. Uh, My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to welcome you to our Easter service. Uh, And I'm excited to see some faces I haven't seen in a while, or maybe some that I've never seen. If you are a guest, welcome. Uh, Jessica extended a welcome to you earlier, but I'll extend another welcome to you. And uh, if you haven't gotten a welcome gift, if you haven't received a welcome gift, we'd like to offer you one, so at the end of the service... Uh, Come say hi, I'm going to be at the back under the exit sign, and I'd be glad to hear your name, hand you a gift, and hear a little bit more about how your experience was this morning and how you happened to find us here at Chatham Community Church. Uh, When my grandfather passed away, uh, my mother inherited a Tiffany-style lamp, a Tiffany-style almost chandelier, you might call it, that he had in his dining area. It looked somewhat like that. And uh, she had it shipped from New York, which is where my grandparents had lived, uh, to Puerto Rico, which is where we lived, and the thing was incredibly well-packed. I mean, even when you pulled it out of the box that it came in, it was like cocooned in wrapping material, uh, which was important and necessary because it was being shipped over a large distance, and as you can see, it was a fragile uh, element. The packing material was super, super, super thick, and While my mom got around to mounting it or having it installed, she set it down in the living room near the TV. I was maybe 12 or 13 at the time, and I spent most of my afternoons parked in front of the TV uh, playing video games. I would sit on the floor near the TV playing video games. For those of you who are wondering why I didn't just sit back on the couch, uh, you may not be old enough to remember that there was a time when wireless controllers did not exist And so you could only sit as far back as the wired controller allowed you to, which for me was just a few feet away from the TV and many feet away from the couch. So I sat there, and it was near the lamp. And, you know, when when I would get uh, anxious or when uh, the game would get tense, I would stand up and kind of pace around while I was playing and try to get things right and and try to figure it out. And, And one day as I was pacing around, I just set my foot on the lamp, and nothing happened, I told you it was well packed. So I kept doing that. And then one day I actually stood on it and nothing happened. I told you it was well packed. And so I kept standing on it and one day I was standing on it for such a long time that I started to sort of bounce on it. And then I heard a sound. And it sounded like bubble wrap popping. And I love the sound of bubble wrap popping. So I kept doing that, and days passed by, and I kept doing that, and I kept doing that until there was no more sound coming. But let me tell you, this is how good it was packed. The integrity of the packing was never compromised. It still looked like there was a whole lamp under that. I thought there was a whole lamp under that, Uh, but weeks later, I found out that, in fact, Uh, the lamp had cracked a good bit, a good bit. Um, And it would be incredibly costly to restore. And I certainly didn't have the money to make it happen. So what did I do? When I broke something I couldn't fix, when I made a mess I couldn't uh, pick up or couldn't uh, uh, address, I denied it. I denied that I had any part in this lamp being cracked. And I did this for years, even though my mom clearly knew that I had been responsible for this. What do you do when you make a mess that you can't clean up? When you realize you've made a mess you can't clean up? When you realize that you've caused damage that you can't repair? For all of us, what happens when we make a mess we can't clean up? When we break something we can't fix? When we cause a fracture, we can't mend. What happens when restoration seems unlikely, maybe even impossible? In the past months, we've spent time talking about the fractures in our world, acknowledging that all is not right in our world near and far, that the signs that all is not right in our world are evident and all around us. We see them and are reminded of them far away as we continue to hear the news of the atrocities, that Russia is committing in the Ukraine and our hearts ache as we see people doing this to people, sisters and brothers, people who are far more connected than they are disparate. Some of the reminders are closer to home. Some of us are reminded of the fractures in our world and in our lives, in our day-to-day relationships as we grieve relationships that are strained or even broken or as we look in the mirror and remind ourselves that we can't quite seem to get it all the way right, even though we have the best intentions to do so. We live in a fractured world. We live in a fractured world, and we have fractured relationships and fractured lives. It's a world with destruction, with devastation, a world that ends with death. But we weren't made to be fractured. We weren't made to live fractured lives. We weren't made to have fractured relationships. We weren't made to live in a fractured world. We were made to be whole, and that's why we have a longing for wholeness. That's why we are dissatisfied with the fractures in our world. So if we were made to be whole, but we're currently fractured, and we can't seem to fix it ourselves, what hope is there? What do we do with that? Well, a message has been communicated for just under 2,000 years that Jesus carried the weight of the fractures of our world with him to the cross. That he died and three days later he came back to life to mend the fractures in our world, in our lives, and in our relationships so that we and our world might be restored. He mended The unmendable fracture, he mended death. Where death had been the unconquerable before, where death had been undefeated, Jesus defeated death. And by mending the unmendable fracture, he gives us hope that every other fracture can be mended that every life can be restored, that no matter how broken, how fractured the things around us look, they can be restored because Jesus has power to do so. On this Easter Sunday, we remember the day of resurrection, the day in which we received an answer to what we could do about the mess we couldn't clean up, the problem we couldn't fix, the fractures we couldn't mend, The things we couldn't restore. Today, we're going to focus on how two groups of people responded to that first Easter Sunday. If you have access to a Bible, we're going to be in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is one of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be towards the end of Luke. Now, earlier we read the first part of that chapter, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, but I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to put up a few verses and highlight some parts of it. So you'll see that on the screen in just a second. But if you have a Bible and want to look up Luke 24, later on we're going to read a larger chunk. So here we go. This is what we read in the first part of Luke, which we read earlier. The women had risen early in the morning. They were on their way to do a beautiful thing. A precious thing, an honoring thing for their friend, for their teacher, for a man they loved. He was a man that they thought would be crowned king. They thought he would bring a type of restoration. They thought he would bring a liberation. They thought he would become king over Israel, return Israel to a glory that had been lost, a connection to God that had been forfeited, that he would break the shackles of Roman imperial rule over them. That's what they thought. They hoped that he would bring restoration. But things went in a very different direction that week, very unexpected things for them. Happened. And so they come this morning to honor him, to care for his corpse. One last act of love and appreciation for the man that they had followed for a significant amount of time. And then things take another unexpected turn. See, where they hope to find a body in a tomb, they find the stone rolled and an empty one. Where they expected maybe to find Roman soldiers, they find two celestial beings, where they may have expected to be asked, what do you think you're doing here, they hear. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Where they expect to simply grieve the loss of their friend, they are told that he is risen, that he is alive. And then it says something really interesting. It says that then they remembered His words. Then they remembered his words. See, Jesus had told them that this was going to happen. He had communicated what his restoration project was going to be like and what it was going to take. He wasn't going to use the means that they were expecting because they were means that had failed humanity time and time again. In fact, they are means that humanity continues to try to employ even though they continue to consistently fail us, he was going to do something better, something that would last, something that would actually accomplish restoration work and make it available for everyone and for all time, for everyone who was there and everyone who would come after. He was going to accomplish a restoration of lives. But they had forgotten. In their set paradigm of what this was going to look like, they have forgotten. In their expectations, they have forgotten. In their shock, in their grief, in their pain, in their sadness, they have forgotten. What causes us to forget? What causes us to forget the hope we have in God? What causes us to forget the love that God has for us? What causes us to forget the words that God has spoken to us, the the words that God has spoken through His scripture? What causes us to forget God's presence? What causes us to forget God's goodness? What causes us to forget God's nearness? What causes us to forget? I tend to forget when things are happening around me that affect me that I feel I have no control over when there are many things like that happening in my life I tend to forget when I feel like I can't influence the things that go- are going to impact my life I forget I forget that the one who is lord of all is with me I forget I forget what causes you to forget does grief perhaps cause you to forget? Does pain perhaps cause you to forget? Does loss perhaps cause you to forget? Does sadness perhaps cause you to forget? Does busyness perhaps cause you to forget? I think in our world, busyness causes us to forget a whole lot. Maybe what causes you to forget is just the amount of fractures in our worlds. Maybe it's the amount of fractures that affect your life. Maybe it's the degree to which you feel the effect of the fractures that others are propagating or the ones that you propagate. Sometimes there are so many fractures that we forget that a restored life is possible. We forget that mending is an option. It can be hard. To remember what mended things look like or can be when we're mired in fractures. Do you find yourself mired in fractures right now? How is your level of hope? How is your level of hope in the possibility of restoration? Today, let's place ourselves with the women at the tomb, the women who came with certain expectations, the women who had also forgotten, and let's be with them in being made aware that everything has changed because Jesus has defeated the previously unmendable fracture. Because Jesus has defeated death. Death because he has risen, because the ultimate fracture has been mended. And here's the question then I want us to consider as we place ourselves with the women at that tomb. What does the resurrected Jesus want you to remember today? What does the resurrected Jesus want you to remember that you may have forgotten? Maybe it was the way his peace felt Maybe it was a word that was spoken to you long ago. Maybe it's something in Scripture that resonated for you months and years past that you have forgotten. Maybe it's that commitment, that prayer you made once that you have maybe neglected or set aside. What does the resurrected Jesus want you to remember today? They remember. They remember, and after they remember, their first instinct is to rush back and tell the other people who'd been with Jesus what has happened. See, one of the fruits of believing and participating in this restored life in being mended by Jesus is that we can't wait, we can't help, but want to tell other people that the fractured life, the fractured world is not all there is, that there is more, that mending is possible. We want them to experience it as well. This is great news. And they go and share this great news. But you wouldn't know that it was that great news based on how they reacted. We read this part as well. So let me just highlight some parts of it. The people that were gathered in this place mourning and grieving were more than likely all or mostly men and they don't believe these women as they come back to tell them what has happened at the tomb. They don't believe them. Even when one of them goes back to the tomb to confirm that the tomb is indeed empty, the scripture tells us that after he confirms that he comes back wondering what has happened. Like, dude... It's what they told you. But for some reason, he's still wondering what has happened. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that at that time in history and in that place, the testimony of women was not considered credible. So they might not have believed because of that. It might have been that, a, that this, this dynamic that a group of people, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when a group of people come and all try to tell you a story at the same time, it is hard to suss out exactly what they're saying. Maybe some of that is happening. Maybe they're just overwhelmed with excitement and they're all telling the story at the same time and it's hard to suss out what they might be saying. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's that this is so far from what they expected. So far from what their paradigm was of, of what could be possible, what they believed could be possible, that they're not ready to admit that it could be possible. Maybe it's that they're not ready to admit that it could be possible. I was with a couple a while back, and they told me about a recent interaction they'd had. The husband had found out some very upsetting news about a man that the couple had admired and sort of followed from afar. They didn't know this person uh, personally, but they had followed him, admired him from afar. And, and the, the husband had found out some really upsetting news about this man. He'd lived a uh, double life. He had a shadow side. He'd done some horrible things. And the husband comes to the wife to, you know, to tell her this sad news about this man that they'd admired, that they'd followed, that they'd looked up to. And her first instinct was to not believe her husband. Her first instinct was to think that he was maybe lying about this, maybe playing some thoughtless practical joke on her. She got upset. She got angry. She started to tear up. She said to him, why would you say something like that about him? Why would you say something like that about him? Now, here's the thing. The husband has no track record of lying to his wife. The husband has no track record of playing this kind of of poor-taste practical jokes on her either. But this was so far from what she expected, so far from what she'd believed to be true, that she couldn't even fathom that it might be true, that it might be possible, that it might have happened. Sometimes we would rather disbelieve the source rather than consider that things aren't entirely as we thought they were. Sometimes we would rather disbelieve the source than consider that our paradigm is not entirely correct, that it might need to shift, that it might need to change. Some of us hold Christianity and this Jesus thing kind of at arm's length. We may be here because of a family obligation. We may be here because it's the thing to do on Easter. We may have heard from people who have experienced this restored life. They claim to have experienced this restored life in Jesus. And we've even seen some of the change we've, they've experienced. And these people are credible in every area of their lives to us. But for some reason, we are resistant to believe the source of the change in their lives. For some reason, we are resistant. I wonder if some of us are even unwilling to consider that restoration for our fractured lives and restoration for our fractured world is even a possibility. See, sometimes we can grow so accustomed to fractures that restoration seems impossible or unlikely. And I wonder if some of us have given in to that belief because it is risky to consider that restoration might be possible, to give ourselves to that endeavor and then be disappointed. It might feel safer to simply settle for a fractured world and try to make our way through it than hope that restoration is possible and then just be shattered again. Perhaps that might be true for you. Friends, here's the thing that I've encountered the best evidence of jesus's resurrection that we have in this day is the transformed lives of the people around us it's the best evidence of his power of resurrection of his power of mending but it can be hard to make that paradigm shift i wonder if some of us may have grown cynical when it comes to restoration It was hard for these people in the first century, and it can be hard for us now in the 20th. But this is not the end for that group of people. They aren't going to be left to wonder what actually happened, what actually happened at the tomb. We're going to go back into the text and read a few extra verses. We're going to skip a chunk, and here's what happens in that chunk. In that chunk, a group of people are traveling away from Jerusalem, and they actually encounter the risen Jesus. It's not angels that appear to tell them, the actual risen Jesus appears and is with them and they run back to tell these folks gathered in this room and we're going to step in right as that is happening. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to Scripture so they could understand it. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What happens is that Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up for this group of people that are having a hard time experiencing this paradigm shift and believing that restoration is possible, that life has defeated death in a week in the midst of a week where nothing has been like what they expected, where it's been a roller coaster of emotions and expectations that has left them uncertain. He comes he shows up and he says, peace be with you. He says, peace be with you. Now, they are anything but peaceful at this moment and Jesus says, peace be with you. Now, sometimes the worst thing someone can say to you when you are upset is to calm down. And sometimes the worst thing someone can tell you when you're in the middle of a mess, is to relax. Everything's going to be okay. Those statements only work if the person can or has solved the problem and if they're credible to you, if you have confidence in them. It's only good if the person has solved the problem, can solve the problem, and is someone you have confidence in. And Jesus checks those boxes. He checks those boxes for those people in the first century and he checks those boxes here today, which is why his word of peace, of shalom is effective. His word of wholeness, of of stability is received by the people in that room. And Jesus is still speaking words of shalom. He's still speaking a word of peace for us who are gathered Here today, a word of restoration, a word of hope, a word of wholeness, a word of well-being, and he can and has delivered it. Where do you need to receive Jesus' word of peace this morning? Where do you need to hear Jesus say, peace be with you? Would you receive it this morning? Would you receive it? Now, Jesus doesn't just appear Right? He doesn't just show up among them. He invites them to check him out, to check things out, right? To confirm that he's not a ghost. I am impressed that the rules on what ghosts can and can't do date back to the first century, maybe beyond that, right? He lets them touch him, to look. He invites them to give him something to eat. What he's doing is something that has been consistent throughout his life and in fact continues to be so. Jesus has is in that moment and continues to extend invitations To come and see, to come and explore, to come and experience, to come and examine, to come and investigate, see everything and anything true that we can learn about Jesus only further affirms who he is, only further affirms that he's the one who defeated death, only further affirms that he's the one who can accomplish restoration. There was a man, a young man I met with a number of years ago for a number of weeks and uh, and um, was coming close to the time where I wouldn't be able to see him again. And he was a man who, who had sort of been church adjacent but had never made a decision to actually give his life to Jesus, to give his life to this thing called faith. And so... One of the times we were meeting, I said to him, Ryan, I know our time is short. I know we only have so many more weeks where we can meet. Uh, and, you know, I'm really interested in, 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 in you considering Jesus and you considering um, dedicating your life to Jesus. So can we talk about the things that stand in the way for you? I invited him to examine. I invited him to share. And he said, well, I have a bunch of questions. I said, okay, well, let's spend a chunk of time over the next weeks just answering any question you have. I may not have all the answers, but I at least respond. And so he asked a series of questions. A number of them were about church and the attitudes of Christians throughout history, and we worked through those. And then he had questions about the Bible. So we spent a few weeks talking about his questions around the Bible, and we came to a point, and I said, do you have any more questions? And, I, and, he, said, and he said, no, I don't. And he said, well, what do you think? Are you?" And I said, what do you think? Are you ready to commit your life to Jesus? And he said, I'm not sure. So I said to him, Ryan, tell me what's in the way said, I just don't know. I've never had an experience of God. And I said, do you pray? He said, no, I don't pray. I said, all right, let's do this. For the next two weeks, I just want you to pray. And I just want you to pray and ask God, ask Jesus for an experience with him to let you know he is with you and he is real. And just see what happens. Just see what happens. A few weeks later, I met with him and I asked him, have you prayed? yes. And, he, and he, his smile lit up his face. He said, I'm ready. See, he had taken this invitation to come and see, to come and explore, to come and experience, to come and examine, to come and investigate, and Jesus had delivered. Everything that he had found just further confirmed that Jesus was the author of restoration, that he could give his life to Jesus. And so he did. And so he did. The people in that room, gathered in that room, on that day experience. They examine, they investigate, and they believe. They believe. And then they're sent to extend an invitation to restoration. The passage says that the message of restore, of, of repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations and that they will be the witnesses, meaning they will be the carriers, the bearers of that message. And that has been true throughout history. It's what the women in the tomb did when they came. It's what the travelers on the road did. It's what the people in that room did. We see it all through the New Testament. It's what folks who have followed Jesus have done for millennia. It's the reason why there exists a church here. Why we are here this morning. Because people who have experienced the restorative power of Jesus have been sent and have gone to extend the invitation To restoration, because when you experience this kind of restoration, you can't help but want more and more people to experience it too. How can we not invite others to experience this kind of restoration? The kind of restoration that brings beauty, that brings wholeness, that brings mending to the fractures in our lives and in our world. Over the last little bit, our friend Jim has been working on this stained glass. At the start of the morning, it was just a series of pieces. Some of them were beautiful, just like some of these. But they were broken, separate, fractured. And he knew it could be more. So he engaged in a restoration project. And he's doing this at this service. He'll do this at the next service. So he's completed part of it so far this morning. He is making something even more beautiful something that is restored it's the picture that you see up on the screen and i invite you after the service to come look at the progress that it's made that he's made already friends there are there are there are pockets of beauty in our world even in the midst of fractures there are pockets of goodness in our lives even in the midst of fractures but we were made for so much more we were made for so much more. We were made to be whole. We were made not just for pockets of beauty in the midst of fractures, but for a world that is beautiful, that is whole, that is healed, that is restored. And so much beauty has been made possible through Jesus' restoration, through his death and resurrection. So let's receive that light. Let's enter into that restoration project today. Here are three ways that I want you to consider doing that today. Let's participate in Jesus' restoration project. The first thing I want you to do, for those of you who are sort of faith-adjacent or have been passive about this, I want you to become active. I want you to receive Jesus' invitation to come and see and take it seriously. To actually examine and experience, to investigate, to ask questions, to seek, because here's what I believe I believe that Jesus, what Jesus says when he says that those who seek will find. I can't produce, I can't conjure up anything, but I believe Jesus when he says that those who seek will find. So become active. This is too important to simply coast by in life. Actually take some time and become active in your pursuit of whether this is a life worth giving yourself to. Some of us here know that this is a life giving your, worth giving yourself to. You are feeling the fractures. You are feeling the fractures and you are feeling the longing. You want healing and restoration today. Well, you can be restored today by and through Jesus. Experience that this morning. And for the rest of us, once we've experienced that restoration, let's become sent ones. Folks who extend invitations for restoration to those around us. I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to pray through each of those. And when I pray for one that you want to take on today, would you join me in prayer? You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything physically, though you can if you want to, but affirm it in your heart. Affirm it in your mind. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, you have invited us to come and see, to come and examine to come and explore, to come and investigate, to come and experience. You have nothing to hide. Anything that we can find out about you that is true will only further affirm that you are worth giving our lives to. So I pray for my sisters and brothers here whose time has come to actually explore, to investigate, to experience. Would you give them a sense of encouragement right now that as they become active, they will not be disappointed. You will meet them. You will meet them. Lord, for those of us here who are feeling the pangs of fracture, who are feeling the pain, who are feeling the longing for restoration, and are wondering if it's worth it, if it's time, if it's actually good, if there can actually be restoration, if there can actually be healing, if it's worth the risk, would you give them a sense of your peace right now? they give their lives to you lord would they say i am following you i receive the restoration i believe in the one who died and rose again would they say that lord and would they experience the renewal renewal and for all of us lord lord this is too good to keep secret this is too good to keep to ourselves and you have placed people around us that need to receive the invitation for restoration. It's an invitation that we've already received. Would we not keep it to ourselves? Would we extend it to others? Lord, would that be true for all of us? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the worship team to join me on the stage now, and I'm just gonna pray a closing prayer for for the sermon time as they join us. Lord, would the work you began this morning, would you seal it? And would it bear fruit and fruit of life and joy, and peace, and gladness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.